The best way to listen to Radio Captain U is on the way to practice. You can subscribe for free through the podcast app on your iPhone or Android and then enjoy more than 40 episodes. We'd like to thank our partners, including U.S. Lacrosse and the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, for their leadership in communicating sports science and technology. There's a lot more to being a successful athlete than learning technique and tactics. On Radio Captain U, we introduce you to the leaders of the sports revolution. Welcome to Radio Captain U. I'm Avi Stopper. Other than being NBA superstars, there's one thing that LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, guys like that have in common. Many of them have worked with Gannon Baker, the basketball coach who is our guest on this episode of Radio Captain U. We're going to talk to Gannon a little bit more about what it's like to work with those guys and what sets them apart from the rest. Let's dive into the interview now. Well, Gannon Baker, welcome to Radio Captain U. Let's start with a little history here. How did you get into the business of working with teaching and training some of the top names in basketball? Well, I finished the playing career in Iceland, and I had a surgery on my tibial tendon. I spent all my money on the surgery. I was broke, living at home at the age of 28. And uh, I'm a Christian, and I did a lot of praying. I read The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, and I thought that was my calling is to be a basketball teacher. So I started my own business and through a lot of sweat, equity, and grinding, I was able to get the attention of some of the best players in the world. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that came to pass? What kinds of things did you do to get this fledgling business off the ground doing what you really love? You know, I had an unbreakable vision and confidence in what I thought needed to be taught. So I developed a curriculum, something I believed in. And then I developed a business plan on how to get my name out. Basically, just put flyers on cars, showed up at games, passed my card out. Back in 2001, there was no Facebook or really social media. Websites really weren't that popular. So it was all just word of mouth and me out there, guerrilla marketing. And then Championship Productions probably gave me my big break. They asked me to do a ball handling and finishing video, and it became a world's bestseller. And I got a lifetime contract with them pretty much. And their marketing of DVDs got me out around the United States and globally. And people started to call me and wanted me to come work out their teams or their sons or their players. So this actually started with the old-fashioned flyering on cars out at games. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd walk into YMCA's and literally ask guys if they wanted to be trained in basketball. And, you know, I'm like Woody Harrelson and White Man Can't Jump. I don't really look the part. And so I actually played guys one-on-one and tried to absolutely destroy them and tell them, look, you need me. And I got a few clients that way. I put an ad in the paper, if you can believe it. And my first client, I think, was a drug dealer because he paid me in cash. His number changed every week. So he just wanted to get better at rec league. And so it was funny, yeah. It's just, you know, out there grinding, hitting the pavements, pretty much going door to door, gym to gym. So you're doing that kind of moving from one place to the next. And eventually, I mean, not that this happened overnight, it certainly didn't, but you found yourself working with top athletes, some of the best basketball players in history. You've worked with Kobe, I believe, with LeBron. How did that come to pass? Well, I give that credit to Nike because they hired me to train their top 80 players every summer since 2004. 
and it actually started out with just 16 players and then became 80 players and I did a good job with them and so when they turned college or pro you know they would ask me to come work their camps work them out during lunch you know work them out during the off season so you know Nike kind of put me on the platform and then I took advantage of it you know, one of the themes on this show is constant learning and just ongoing development and improvement. And I think it's so interesting to hear that even some of the top players, and maybe them more than anyone else, are always hungry and looking for more in terms of how they can learn. How do you approach that as a coach? I mean, these are guys who seem to have it all to be the complete package, and yet you find opportunities for them to improve. Yeah, I mean, leaders are obsessed with listening and learning. And I listen to their games. I watch intently what they need to work on. And then during those workouts, I try to make them feel insecure, make them feel ignorant about the game. And so I, I take their mind and body to a place where they've never been. So for me to do that, I got to tremendously study the game, study their strengths, study their weaknesses, really prepare so that when I'm with them, you know, most of the time they want to work on their weaknesses. And a lot of these great players really don't have weaknesses. So you got to challenge them. you got to limit rest breaks. you got to add some disruptors in the drill. Cones, two balls, a paddle. You know, hey, you made eight in a row. Now you got to make 15 in a row. It's just always stretching their body and mind and never accepting what they give you. They always want more because they're champions, they comply. And, you know, my experience with, like, Kevin Durant and Mike Moore, for instance, man, they never get bored. They never get bored with the process. They can do the most simplest things, and they can make it extravagant, and they look at it as an edge. And so, you know, that's totally different from a lot of the mediocre players out there and most of the players where they get bored with the process. They're not grateful for the simple things, and they don't pay attention to the little things. That's what these great players do. So that's what I give them. That's a pretty powerful insight on what separates some of those players maybe from the rest of the pack. Are there any examples that come to mind as you think about the folks that you've worked with where maybe there's someone who everyone considers to be the ultimate or a complete player and you've found some stuff, really interesting ways for them to kind of push their game to the next level? Yeah, I mean... You know, LeBron, he always wants to have fun. He always wants to compete. There has to be a carrot with everything. And so you work out and you do drills that satisfy that. You know, Kobe, really, you can't teach him anything. It's more of, all right, can you do it again and can you do it better? You know, Chris Paul was constantly asking questions, so I'm trying to give him things that, again, this was in college, so I was trying to give him things that he'd face in the NBA, and then I worked him out during the summer before the Olympics, and I just kind of tested some of his skills and, and different angles and different ways that he would have to play with FIBA rules and Olympic rules. And Kevin Durant is just taking him his range deeper and his handle quicker and is making his moves a little bit more aggressive and just up in the ante that way. And, you know, Maya Moore getting her to really dominate every single possession and having that tenacity of a Jordan. And obviously she's wearing the Jordan brand now. So, you know, Amari just totally become a complete player and not just a power forward. So we worked on Mondays we do a point guard workout and Tuesday we do a wing workout and Wednesdays we do a power forward workout and Thursdays we do a center workout Friday we put it all together so it's just developing weapons and solutions on offense where he would never be surprised and Kyrie Irving a lot of ambidextrous stuff a lot of two ball stuff a lot of tennis ball stuff just you know ways that he can increase his ambidexterity passing off one hand finishing it off one hand so just an example 
those are pretty solid examples. As you think about how these players identify what it is that they want to go after next, how much of that do you think is driven by them and how much do you think is driven by coaches? And even when you're working with less illustrious players, maybe young players who are coming up through the game, what's the balance maybe in terms of their responsibility for identifying their weaknesses, identifying where it is they want to get better, and how much dependency should they have on coaches? Yeah, that's a loaded question because, I mean, you know, obviously up until high school, I think it's a coach's responsibility to really develop these kids' skills, let them know what their assets are, let them know what their weaknesses are, let them know what they need to do. But our grassroots system sucks, so there is no system. You know, most coaches don't take passion in development, and a lot of coaches don't have the time. And There's just no system like there is in Europe of kids practicing consistently and developing on the same curriculum. I know USA Basketball is trying to do that, but, you know, there's been no solution. So, I mean, obviously it's it's up to the coaches, and when they get to high school, it's really starting up to the kid to develop his own game and know his own game. And Shakespeare, to know thyself and design self, be true. they got to be true to who they are and stay in their role. And if they don't like their role, then change it through practice. And so in my experience, man, seeing these great players, they have that inner desire that sometime in their life they connected. For me, it was 13. That's when I knew that I wanted to be dedicated to basketball and love it instead of just like it. For others, it might be different. But I think a coach definitely sparked that within these players. And then, obviously, some of the best coaches in the world are in the NBA. So, an Eric Spolster or Doc Rivers or Phil Jackson when he coached. I mean, all those guys continue to keep their players' motors up and keep them engaged. But it becomes more of a 50-50 at the college and NBA level. But, unfortunately, you don't see that now because our grassroots system is so screwed that kids aren't getting the right information or too much information from too many different coaches. So, you've mentioned now a couple times, apropos of that, the word curriculum. And I think you mentioned earlier early on that curriculum and developing your curriculum was one of the most important things to do. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Tell us a little bit about what your curriculum really focuses on, how you've designed that, and how that's really paid dividends for folks? Yeah, I mean, if people are interested in my curriculum, you know, we sell it and we have a great coaching class that we do for three days that really gets into it. But basically, it's what you believe in. It's lesson plans. It's no different than an SAT curriculum or a math curriculum that teachers have that they have to teach. It's everything that I believe in from a player development perspective on offense and defense, for instance. One two-step jump stops on finishing, you know, one-foot finishes, two-foot finishes, the teaching points, defensive reads, and then the drills to go with it, the age-appropriate skills to teach all the way up from you know 10 years old to pro what does a point guard really need to develop to be great a wing a big when you're teaching motion offense you know what exactly do you have to have to have a great motion offense and what do you need to teach these players ball reversal screening spacing cutting helping others so it's basically everything you need to know as a coach and then how to deliver it to your players in an organized efficient manner where definitely 100% retainment takes place so it's just your GPS so to speak as a coach and mine is about 400 pages it's my bible i have about 18 of them i go through because i write in it and add in it and end up getting it wet and i have to throw that one away and get another one you know you can really tell if a coach knows what he's doing by his notes and how much he reads and what's in his nike bag so to speak because i bring mine everywhere i'm looking at it i'm writing it during workouts i'm taking a pen and i'm a constant developer of that curriculum but it basically it's your foundation for what you want to teach how you want to teach it And so a more consistent curriculum is what you're seeing in Europe right now? Yeah, in Europe, every club 
has their own curriculum that all their coaches have to go by. So everybody's on the same page. Everybody's speaking the same terms. Everybody is teaching the same information so that the kids develop consistency and, and habit. And the coaches are held accountable that curriculum. They have to take a test. They have to get FIBA certified. There's five levels, I believe, and every level is different. And when you pass one level, you can't move on as a coach until you pass this other level. So it's like the golf pros and the teaching pros and the fitness trainers over here. You have to get at a high level, you have to have certain credentials. It's like an education. You know, you get a bachelor's and you get a master's and you get a doctorate. And so the more education you have, the less poverty you're in financially and intellectually. So that's kind of how Europe, it's called FIBA. That's how they develop their coaches. And I don't agree with everything in their curriculum, but I do appreciate that they have it and that it's correct and that their players are the most skilled players in the world. Not the best, but from a player development, their IQ is high. Most of those players' skills are far better than ours. And I think 43% now of the NBA is, is foreign. And a lot of reason is because our coaches don't work as hard or as not as organized as theirs, and we don't get to our athletes what they need to get. And so the elite athletes, talent guys, they prosper, but our marginal players don't get the opportunities to learn and get developed because pretty much our coaches overall are mediocre as far as teachers. So you mentioned before that the stuff that you teach in your curriculum, it sounds like it kind of breaks into a lot of technical stuff, quite a bit of tactical stuff, understanding how to read the game, that kind of thing. Are there psychological components as well, where you feel like coaches' responsibilities are to help their players develop their psychological toolkits? Yeah, there's a few chapters in my book about coaching presence and methods of teaching and how to deal with player anxiety and game anxiety and different ways to motivate and lead your kids because there's pretty much three types of players. Number one, you know, you got players that overestimate their talent, so you got to deal with them. You got players that think they're better than what they are. Then you got players that underestimate their talent. They don't think they're as good as they are, and you got to pump them up. And you got in third type of players, they have no idea what their strengths or weaknesses are. And you know, those are the mentally challenged players, and you've got to be patient with them and find a way for them to learn. So with that, there's different leadership styles, different motivational styles that you have to have with, with kids. You treat all your kids the same on the court, but off the court, treat them differently. And you hold all your players accountable, but how you deliver the message is different. So some you praise in public, some you criticize in private, some you criticizing public. So the main thing I focus on is coaching presence, man. I mean, there's so many out of shape coaches and coaches that have no enthusiasm. It just makes me sick, man. And it's like, that's what I pride myself on. All the great ones in the world that are teachers of any sport engage their audience. And so whatever that means to you, man, you got to engage them. And there's so many coaches that are just out of shape. They don't have enthusiasm. They don't make it fun. You know, I tell coaches, you got to have a childlike heart, but an adult mind, you know, never lose your joy as a human being because that's what we're doing man life is to be enjoyed it's a game it's fun you can't get your panties twisted over something that a parent said or a kid said and again it comes down to insecurity man if you're secure in what you are and you know your curriculum then you don't get offended as much but a lot of coaches out there are really fake because they let people offend them through actions and they're 16 year old kids and they make a mistake you take it personal and then anyway i'm rambling but we definitely hit on that as far as how to engage different types of learning style so for an athlete or a player who is in the kind of environment that you've just described maybe an environment that's not so constructive but for a player who's got real hunger and fire and excitement about their own development or maybe is trying to kindle that but isn't really in the right kind of environment. What do you recommend? 
players are not in that kind of environment, then he's got to find the right environment, I mean, point blank. If he's not getting the right type of coaching or he's not in an environment where he can prosper and develop and learn, I mean, you stay in that environment and you become the leader and you change the culture yourself. I don't know how realistic that is, but I know my high school coach wasn't a rah-rah guy. He really didn't know a lot about basketball, and all we did was run 30 suicides every day in practice and did defensive slides. But I tell you what, we won the state championship, and we're running around my senior year because we had some leaders on that team. We had myself and Kevin Swan and Ronnie and Paul Blackman. We led practice, and we talked, and we did extra work, and we got shots after practice, and we talked about stuff. So we changed the culture. We didn't adapt to it. Or you go somewhere where you're going to get learning and then obviously I love pub my postgrad academy elevate in Delray Beach Florida I mean we have four coaches and all of them are college coaches and NBA talent that are coaching high school and postgrad players you know it's a must that that environment prospers every day or people are held accountable all right, so we've got time for one more question here. And you've been through a lot as a player. You mentioned your experience in Iceland, certainly as a coach. When you step back and kind of reflect on the most important lessons that you have learned both as an athlete and as a coach that you want to impart to the next generation of players, how do you summarize those? What do you think those are? That's a great question. You know, I would say I've been thinking about that a lot. And the number one thing is don't let your career define you. Let you, the man or woman, define you and how you've made an impact. Do you help lives? Do you help situations with your time and resources? If you're single, what kind of leader are you in, in society? Are you building living trophies besides the trophies that are in your trophy case? If you're a married man or woman, what's important is that you provide for your family. Like basketball is just a tool to provide for your wife and kids so they can have a prosperous life. And that, to me, I've finally realized that, being married and having kids and you know, looking at all this stuff. And really what's most important is my family, man, that I'm there for them and that I'm showing them how to get the most out of life. And another lesson is, you obviously, you have to have a job, but don't chase a job, chase a career. Uh, a career is something you absolutely love and it's not work. And the way to chase a career is chase your passions because really your passion can be your paycheck. If you want a big paycheck, you got to have a huge passion. And this world will value you if, if you really love what you do because they'll see that authenticity and they'll see that genuineness. And that's all. This, this world is dying for just honest people that are going to give you their all and be all in with them in the moment with their kids. You know, parents don't mind mistakes. They mind mediocrity and lazy. They just want you to care for their kid during that too. I just want you to be all in for that kid. And you can't do that as a coach unless you've got passion because it's too hard and the pressure of coaching that people will see right through it under pressure eventually. Those two things, man, passion and know what's important in life and it's not your career. It's who you are and how you're developing, how you're impacting society and what you're doing for your family, it's in my opinion. Well, Gannon Baker, thank you so much. This has been a great discussion. Keep up the great work. We'll include some links from the podcast page over to some of the videos that you have on your site where folks can see really how you teach and the kind of passion that you bring to your work. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it was great. Great question. I'm glad I could be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope that Radio Captain U helps you be more successful on the field. Radio Captain U is a production of Captain U, the network that helps high school athletes, youth coaches, tournament directors, and college coaches be more successful.
For more information, visit www.captainu.com. The opinions expressed on the show do not represent the opinions or recommendations of Captain U or its partners.